Do you have your Bibles out this morning? Awesome. I've got a sermon to preach and a plane to catch, so we're going to see how both of those things go. Maybe only one of them gets done, but we'll see. Just kidding, Brad. We're going to make it. Psalm 119 is what you need to open up to this morning. Anybody think my wife's amazing? Woo! She's amazing. Psalm 119, we are finishing up our War and Worship series this morning. Have you been encouraged by this series? God has been speaking. We've heard some, from so many different people in this house, and it has been challenging and encouraging, and I'm thankful for it. I'm going to go ahead and just read right off the bat. Psalm 119, if you're there, say I'm there. Yeah. Is your neighbor there? Just call him out. <clears throat> oh, I see some, <laughs> I see some tattletales in the room. Like, no, not, not her. <laughs> Psalm 119, starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first eight verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who keep him with, who keep him, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. I want to preach a message to you this morning titled, uh, The Rules of Engagement. The Rules of Engagement. You can write that at the top of your page. I didn't see anybody doing it, so we're off to a start. Just kidding. At least you can doodle if I get boring. You know, I'm trying to help you out. The rules of engagement to finish our series this morning. I don't know if you know are familiar with the rules of engagement. I think it was a TV show recently or something, and we're not talking about that. Uh, the rules of engagement, what, what the rules of engagement are, it's a military term, and an army or a part of an army that's going into a battle, they'll have some rules of engagement, which means they kind of have some parameters for what it's going to look like in different situations. So the rules of engagement are, are given to the soldiers kind of from the, from the higher ups to say, hey, this is how we're going to behave in this situation or this is how we're allowed to fight. So things like, uh, are you allowed to shoot first or do you have to wait to be shot at? Like, are we going on attack or are we on defense? Are we defending this position or are we trying to go gain a new position? Are we allowed to use uh, all the weapons or just some of the weapons? Some, what kind of force are we allowed to use and what kind of force are we not allowed to use depending on the situation? Does that make sense to everybody? So uh, an army knows these rules of engagement. And the thing about the rules of engagement are uh, they're, they're great because uh, they can kind of keep things in check and hopefully keep things from getting too out of hand, which I'm thankful for. Uh, but then the, the other thing about it is that if an army is not careful, the rules of engagement uh, can actually kind of get too tight and it can become a limiting factor. Instead of being empowering and saying, here, this is how you can fight, it becomes kind of constricting and a perfectly strong army can get hamstrung in a battle and lose something they shouldn't be losing because of the rules of engagement because maybe they should have been able to, maybe they had the weapon they needed, but they weren't allowed to use it. You see what I'm saying? And, and something that some, somebody or some force beat them back that had no business beating them, but it was just the rules of engagement weren't empowering them to be all that they could be, and they're losing battles they have no business losing. Jesus said that he was going to establish a church that the gates of hell would not prevail against. Jesus said that he came to destroy the works of the devil. I don't know if you know that, but I think there's two things that Jesus said he came to do. Seek and save the lost and destroy the works of the devil. And I like both of those. 
I've benefited from both of those. Amen? Jesus said that he uh, gives us armor to win the battle that we are in, not against flesh and blood, but in the spirit. He has equipped us with the armor that we need to win this. The Bible says that he has given us a shield of victory. The Bible tells us that death is defeated. The Bible says that no weapon formed against us will prosper. The Bible says that we are co-heirs of this kingdom of God as his children. And yet, so many times, we can sing about victory and sing about the, the, the blessing of God on Sunday, but go through Monday and Saturday losing battles that we don't have any business losing. If you listen to the language of Christians so many, so many times, you listen to the language they use about the battles that they're in, the fights that they're fighting, all of us, it can kind of be rare to hear language of confidence, language of hope, language of expectation, language of victory. More often than not, it seems that it's too common that we hear language of defeat, language of loss, language of hopelessness. I believe Jesus meant what he said. Me and my wife. I believe Jesus meant what he said. I believe Jesus meant what he said when he said all that stuff about the church that he was building that the gates of hell would not prevail against. I believe he meant what he said when he was saying that stuff about who we are as the people of God just through his grace, not through our own might. I believe that Jesus is bigger than the devil. I believe that grace is bigger than sin. I believe that the power of God overcomes the power of death through the love of God. That's what I believe. And I believe that one cross and one empty grave and being filled with one spirit is enough for us for the battles that we have to fight and to be the people that God has called us to be and to do the things that God has called us to do. I believe that we don't need a bigger God to win the battles that we're in. I believe that we don't need another massive breakthrough for God to do something bigger than what he's already done to set us free from the things that are binding us right now. I believe that what we need is a better understanding of the rules of engagement. The rules of engagement. There is power available. There is hope available. There is victory available. Life available to you to the person sitting next to you, in the situation you're in, the situation they're in, and to every person on the planet, not on the other side of God's next big miracle, and not even on the other side necessarily of the next big breakthrough you need God to give you, but on the other side of you having a higher value and me having a better understanding of the living word of the living God. The rules of engagement. The problem is, not that God's not good. The problem is not God's not big enough, strong enough, hasn't done enough. The problem is that too many times we approach the rules of engagement like rules of religion. We approach the Bible and we say things like and have an attitude like, you know, okay, the Bible, yeah, I, I want to read the Bible. Yeah, sure, like I, I know it's a good thing to do. Mom told me it was good. Like maybe I grew up in church. Like I should read the Bible. Good people read the Bible. That's great. We should do that. It's a good thing to do. I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous. But yeah, I, sh I should do that. Um, I mean, um, I'll do it. I probably won't understand anything, but I'll do it. You know, I, I'm probably going to get confused. It's probably not going to make sense, but I, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so here we go. And you kind of do that thing where you're like, okay. 
right? If you're laughing, then I know you're like me and you've done it. And we just open up our Bible. Like, All right, God, let's read the Bible. And uh, we, we come up on something like Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. And uh, instead of reading it like it was written, we read it like it's religion. And so we start off and we're thinking, okay, blessed are those. Ooh, I like this. I'm into blessing. Come on. I knew the Bible was a good thing. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Oh, man. Who walk in the law of the Lord. The law? Wait a second. What about grace? All right, we'll keep going here. Okay, we're going to get through eight. Here we go. We're through one and we're struggling, but eight. (laughs) Blessed are those, getting good again. I like blessing. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Okay, not sure what that's all about, but I guess I have a testimony. Praise the Lord. All right, here we go. Who seek him, that sounds good, with their whole heart. Who also do no wrong. Okay, no wrong. That's kind of a big statement. But walk in his way. Okay, I give up. I can't do this. I can't do all this. Like, good for you, Bible guy who wrote this. I'm sure you were seeking God with your whole heart. You wrote part of the Bible. Of course you did. Good for you. You were living in your little psalm, poetic fantasy land, writing love songs to Jesus. Like, I'm in here living real life and trying to do, like, real things and having real problems or real struggles. Like, good for you, shepherd boy in the field, but I got some things going on. And I can't do this. Like, I'm trying to live my life. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to get through what I'm going through. I'm trying to, like, follow God, I guess, along the way. How does this work? And this doesn't sound very encouraging. And I, don't, I can't even do this. How do we even know this is true anyways? And the snowball starts tumbling down the hill. See, our perception of how all of this works how all of this works, how all of this works, how church works, how the Bible works, how God works, is that like God's over there and we're like over here and in the middle are these like rules of religion. And if we want to get over there, we got to make sure we squeeze through this thing just perfectly So that God has just enough mercy to throw us a little bone here. He's got just enough grace. He loves us just enough to save us if we could just pull all this stuff off. And then I can get to God. And then I read, blesses those whose way is blameless. And I think, shoot. I must not be blessed. I must not be good enough. This whole thing must not be good for me. I don't even know if I bought it all in the first place anyways being blameless, walking in the law, seeking him with my whole heart, doing no wrong. I got to do all that to get with God. I got to do all of that to fill the gap between me and him. I got to do all that's what it takes. That's what's going to fill the gap. And it's true. It's just not the whole story. Like, we could feel that way, but let's not forget the whole story. Like, there's some other part of the story, like the rest of the story. Like the whole part where this word became flesh. 
And then he dwelt among us, and he put aside being in the very likeness of God to put on the very nature of a servant. And he became obedient even to death, like death on a cross, death on a cross. The death that you owed, he submitted to that. And then he didn't stay dead. He decided to raise from the grave three days later. So he buys on the cross. He becomes our sin so that we could become his righteousness. And then he raises from that grave to conquer the death that tries to hold us back. And he's not done yet. Because he thinks, why don't I just fill you with myself too? So not only can I save you, not only can I seal you, but I can empower you to do the things that I've called you to do, to do the things that I say that you can do, to do the things that I'm asking you to do, to do all of these sort of things. He fills us with power, and he calls us into his kingdom as children of his. The rest of the story really matters. And what we see in the rest of the story is that these are not rules of religion. I'm trying to say that they're not rules of religion for us to get with God. They're actually how God comes to us with the rules of engagement. Say, I told you to pray, let this kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I told you to, to destroy the works of the enemy just like me. I told you that I sent you out into the world just as the Father sent me. I said I sent you into a fight against the Spirit. I sent you into a war to take down strongholds that lift themselves up against me. I told you to go into a world like sheep among wolves, but you're going to be victorious in the end. I told you to endure some things because in the end, it's not the end. And I've got a longer story, and here's how you fight. I've got the victory. Here's how you walk in it. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to do some dancing around the Bible today. Can we do that? We're going to be moving around. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Jesus, we're going to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to be encouraged because I've already read this this week and I found it is encouraging. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been baptized he has uh, been led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit into a 40-day fast in the wilderness. Anybody thankful that that's not how the Lord led you this morning? <laughs> He's in the wilderness for 40 days, and uh, from what we can infer, right around the, towards the end of the fast, the devil shows up. The devil shows up because Jesus is most vulnerable. Because like we said, Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man. He's in this fast as a man, and so the Bible says he's hungry, as you could imagine. And the devil shows up to tempt Jesus, to try to derail Jesus. And so Jesus and the devil, they go to war in the wilderness. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. And I'm encouraged by that, because the way Jesus wins this battle in the wilderness is not through his supernatural power of being God. Had he won that way, it would still be a great story, but it would be, of course he did, is Jesus. How am I supposed to do this? He didn't win it like that. He, he set aside all of that. The way that he won this battle with the devil in the wilderness is by fighting with the same exact words of God that you have in your hands right now. That's how Jesus went to war, and that's how Jesus won, which means that's how I can go to war, and that's how I can win. Somebody say, I can win. Touch your neighbor and say, you can win. Touch your other neighbor and say, we win. <laughs> means that I can too. I want to read verses one through four of Matthew chapter four. It says this, 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's weird that sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you into a place where you can be tempted. And I think sometimes we need to understand that just because I'm in the battle doesn't mean I already lost. This isn't in the notes, but I feel like maybe it could be the whole rest of the time. I'm telling you, sometimes you're in the middle of something and you're wondering, where's God? And he's like, I brought you here because I got something to show you. There's some things you thought you couldn't beat and I need to show you. There's some, you've been doubting your own strength. You've been doubting your own ability by the grace of God. And I've got to show you by revelation and show you by experience that this is actually a way bigger deal than you think. We're going to face some giants that you can't beat, that you actually lost to before, but we're going to beat them this time in the grace of God. Sometimes you get led by the Spirit into a wilderness, and sometimes you end up being tempted by the devil, and you're right where God wants you. Just because you're in a war doesn't mean you lose. If God leads you into a war, it's to win. Somebody say, I can win. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered the devil. And he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to talk about how we go to war this morning with the word of God. First thing you need to know is that the devil in general, he's going to hit you where you're hungry. Jesus was hungry, and the devil comes and starts talking about bread. You ever been hungry for something, and the devil shows up and starts talking about just what you want? And if you look at this temptation, this first temptation, I, at least for me, like it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense on the surface as to why it's a temptation. Like Bread's not bad. Like, what's, how, I don't understand how this is a temptation. This is why you need the word of God in your life. This is why you need to know the rules of engagement from God's perspective, because he's going to show you some battles that you need to win that you don't know are battles on the surface. The problem wasn't the bread. The bread was fine. The problem was the shortcut. The problem was the shortcut that the devil was trying to offer Jesus through the bread. See, some of the bread that you're being offered in your life is not bad, but it's a shortcut. And the problem isn't the bread. The problem is the shortcut. The devil is trying to distract Jesus from his long-term destiny with a short-term dinner. Somebody needs to write that down. Because there's some dinners you're being invited to. They're not that bad but they cost your destiny. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus responded with the word of God because not only was Jesus the word of God, but he knew the word of God. And he taught, he's teaching you and me right now, how do we go to war? What are the rules of engagement here? Jesus gives him his, his answer, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's like, okay, like I could I get it, like spiritually, let's eat the Bible, but like, I need some bread. <laughs> To understand what Jesus is talking about, we got to go back to where Jesus got his answer from. So Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can turn there if you want, or it'll be on the screen. Oh, clank. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, a little bit of a backstory here. 
The people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter eight, they're about to enter into the promised land, a land that God had promised them for over 400 years, for a long time. If you know the Bible, you know this is a crazy long story. If you're new to the Bible, most of the Old Testament is about this whole journey that they're on. God's gave them, given them this promise. I'm gonna give you this land. It's been a long time. A lot has happened. Deuteronomy chapter eight, we're like on the doorstep now. And, and God's about to uh, lead them into this land. And as they're getting ready to go into this amazing promise that they've been holding on to for generations, that God is going to give them, that God is going to provide for them, he's trying to remind them, once you get in there, don't forget me. Like, have you ever given your kids a gift and they forgot you existed? Thank you. Maybe that only happens in our house. Have you ever given your kids a gift and realized, okay, did I disappear now? Like, hello, no hug, no thank you, hello. God's trying to have that conversation with his children here. I'm about to give this to you, but don't forget about me. Don't forget about me once you get into the promise. So verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, uh, it says this, that the whole commandment, that, I, that that I command you today, shall be, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in to possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. He's looping it back into Genesis 12, 1 through 3. If you've been a part of this church for a couple years, we've talked about this a lot, okay? So it's all the same promise, and God's saying, now we're about to go in. You're not just going into a land, you're going into a promise, this isn't just a land, this is a promise. What I'm doing in you, what I'm giving you, it's not just material, it's actually spiritual. I'm trying to do something in you, give you something that I've been holding, on for, holding off for you. I'm giving you a promise. In verse two, he says, you shall remember the whole way of the Lord your God, that he has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. What God's saying is, I know that it's been crazy, but God's been leading you this whole time. I know there was the whole wilderness thing, and that didn't make a whole lot of sense, and it wasn't comfortable, and there was hard parts about it, but the Lord was leading you. you. He has humbled you. God has humbled you. There's been some trials, and I get that. It was tough, but the trial was intentional. Somebody say, my trial, sometimes it's intentional. See, sometimes we get ourselves into some situations we shouldn't be in, and sometimes we get into some situations that God's led us into, and they look the same and they feel the same, but one had purpose, the one from God, and the one was just a bad mistake that we shouldn't have ever been in from the get-go. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes you're in the wilderness, and God's saying, I know, I get it, it was hard, it was weird, but it was intentional. Because God had to get you ready for what was coming. He's saying, I was preparing you. For this promise. I, I had to do some back work to get you ready for what I wanted to give you. So in other words, I know you're hungry. You're hungry. You're hungry for this promise. You're hungry for this thing that I told you I was going to give you that you haven't gotten yet. There's, you're hungry for this thing that you need, and it's been a hard journey. You've been hungry, and I haven't fed you. He says, I let you be hungry. I know you're hungry and I let you be hungry and I, I know you were hungry and I haven't fed you yet. I know you asked and I didn't answer yet. I know you're not eating right now, but it's coming. I know you're hungry, but it's coming. Maybe we could look at it this way. The wine has got to age, right? The soup has to simmer. The chicken's got to marinate. You don't rush grandma at Thanksgiving. 
I know you're waiting, but the good stuff takes time. What God's trying to say is that it's not always a milk and cereal kind of promise. Sometimes this isn't an easy Mac destiny. Sometimes I know you're hungry, and God sees that you're hungry, and you're tempted to take a shortcut to fill that hunger, but I can't tell you what God's cooking. I can't tell you when he's going to serve it, but I can tell you it's worth waiting for. Verse 3 says, I humbled you and I let you hunger and I fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know what man does not, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus knew the whole story. Jesus knew he was hungry for bread, but God was also developing a deeper hunger for something else. See, you only take in the nutrients that you most need to live your life when you're hungry. Hunger is a gift. If you were never hungry, you would never eat and you would never get the nutrients and you would never live. Your hunger is a gift. The waiting is a gift. You want righteousness. You got to be hungry. You got to be thirsty. See, when God has something new that he's trying to feed you, by his grace, he'll let you hunger. He said, I, had to give, I was going to give you manna. Nobody ever knew anything about that. Nobody knew that that was a thing, that God made bread come from heaven every day, and if you gathered too much, it would spoil by the next day, but fresh stuff always came. Your fathers didn't hear about that. They had been through a lot, but they hadn't been through that. I knew you were hungry, and I had to show you how I feed you in a new way. I had to show you that I had to let some things pass away, some ways you used to eat. All you were used to eating was in Egypt. You gotta let some food sources fall to the wayside. And we gotta be fed by the word of the Lord. See, the bread's not necessarily bad. The shortcut was bad. And life has a lot to offer you that's not necessarily bad, but it's a shortcut. See, you want a relationship. You're hungry for a relationship, and that's not bad. But don't take a shortcut to get it. You want sex, and sex isn't bad. Sex is awesome. Sex is amazing. But don't take a shortcut to get it. That's not the problem. The problem isn't that you want it. The problem is how are you going to go about getting what you want? Will you wait? Will you let God feed you? Are you going to find a way to make some stones into some bread? The success you want, the money you want, the thing you're chasing, it's not necessarily bad, but are you shortcutting anything to get it? See, what I'm trying to say is that it's worth the wait. Jesus knew by the word of God it's worth the wait. God's doing more than just bread in this season. God knows Jesus knew that he, he was just a man, but the man didn't just know the word. He had to become the word, and he wasn't just going to become the word, but the word became the bread that would break. You need the word of God, the bread of life. Don't take a shortcut. It's not worth it. Rule number two of engagement that Jesus shows us in Matthew chapter four. Now I'm flipping back and forth, and that's just not good. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike a foot against the stone. Now, this is getting weird. Because I don't know if you picked up on that, but now the devil's quoting the Bible. 
That might skew how, skew how you think the rules of engagement go. I'm trying to say that the devil doesn't play nice. He doesn't play fair. He, he, he plays dirty. He takes low blows. And you got to understand the game he's playing if you want to beat him at it. I said you got to understand the game he's playing if you want to beat him at it. I'm thankful that this one happened to Jesus. I'm thankful that Jesus had to face this weird temptation because we face this all the time. This is not new to us. You know what this looks like. You know what this looks like. There are compromises in that the world, that your flesh, that the devil, that culture, that whatever, they're trying to lead you into, and they're messing with the word of God, and they're stamping it with Jesus or with some love or with some whatever, and they're stamping it with all these things that look real nice and sound real nice, but it doesn't necessarily like feel right, but it looks right, and so I don't know how this is supposed to go, and I'm glad that Jesus knew the word of God. He knew the rules of engagement. He knew the whole story so that he could step into the fight and even make it through the low blows. Jesus shows us how to fight against the low blows, and his, his answer uh, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you kept your finger in Deuteronomy 8 like I didn't tell you to, and I should have, you would be there closely, uh, just kind of like me. Somehow I took out my paper. <sighs> Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy. Hey, we all got to do it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So obviously chapter 6 is um, a few chapters before chapter 8, uh, which you know, I think. Um, so a few chapters earlier, but it's the same context. It's, there's a big story going on in Deuteronomy uh, that, that God's getting them ready for the promise. So it's the same context. God's getting them ready for the bigger story. He's getting them ready for the promise that he's taking them into. So the people are about to take possession of the land that is promised. And sometimes you're hungry because you're about to take possession of the thing that you've been promised. And sometimes the thing that's so perfectly right in front of you that could just take the hunger away so easy right now. Finally, you've been waiting. It's been 39 days. Sometimes you're just about to take hold of the promise. I think whoever needed that got it. It's a few chapters before chapter 8. The people are about to take possession of the promise, and the chapter starts with this in uh, 6. He says, now, this is the commandment. Big statement. Here's, here's the rule that's going to define all rules, that's going to define how this is all going to go. It, there's going to be a lot of rules, a lot of laws, but they're all going to be summarized by this one. This is the commandment, the statutes, the rules, the Lord your God commanded to teach, all this stuff. Here it is. Here it is. And in verse, chapter, or verse 4 and 5, he says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is holy. Here's the rule. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Kind of rings a bell. If you know the life of Jesus, that time where the uh, the, the, the Pharisees and the lawyers of the day, they come to him and they say, okay, Jesus, if you're so smart, what's the, what's the greatest law? What's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave a smart answer, but it was also written down. <laughs> they could have seen it. And he says, the greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus answers with what's in Deuteronomy 6.5 on that day. Here's the commandment. Here's the greatest commandment. Now, Track with me on this. I know we're, we're, we're kind of going a little bit of a loop-de-loop, -loop, but I think it's going to work. So Deuteronomy 6, God's giving the commandment. The commandment is love the Lord your God. He starts unpacking this through the rest of 6, 7, 8, and for a while, and everything else he's saying is explaining how you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. 
You understand what I'm saying? It's all falling under this umbrella. All this other stuff, I'm teaching you how to actually do this one thing. That's why I got to tell you about all these other things. Like, I'm just trying to get my kids to obey, but it means I'm talking about don't touch the stove, come when you call. So in explaining what it means to love God like this, we find ourselves all the way to verse 16, which is where Jesus gets his answer to the devil in Matthew chapter 4. So part of loving the Lord your God with everything you've got is verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So he says in Matthew 4, 7, Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. If you look at the Deuteronomy 6 version, it adds on this little tagline, like you did at Massa. Can we keep going around the loop? We're going to be all right. I think we're going to get there. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, and then it finishes as you tested him at Massa. So track with me here. Massa was a place, if you look back in the whole story that's been unfolding this whole time, back in Exodus chapter 17, Massa was a place where God was taking the Israelites out of Egypt. They were going through the wilderness on the way to the land that they're about to go into now, and there was this land called Massa, and they named it Massa because it was, they were on their journey and they had run out of water. There was no rivers, there was nowhere to do anything to drink, and so the people, kind of understandably, they're like thirsty, uh, thirsty, sometimes you get hungry, they're thirsty, and they start grumbling against God, against Moses, they're like, what'd you do, bring us out here to die, like we had water in Egypt, what's going on here, and Moses is like, I can't handle these people, so him and Aaron go to the presence of God, and they're like, all right, Lord, you gotta better do something here, um, so God says, go speak to a rock, and I'm gonna let water flow from it. And uh, Moses goes out and he ends up hitting the rock because he's so frustrated. But God turns a rock into a river and the whole nation drinks its fill. That's Massa. So Massa was named Massa. That word means, it doesn't mean God brought a river from a rock. It doesn't mean God did what he said he was going to do. God did all this amazing miracle. What it means in Exodus 17, 7, it says that the place was called Massa because they tested the Lord they tested the Lord. But here's how they tested him. They tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? See, there's, this is weird. Just like the devil used the word of God, there's some places where people test God and it's great. Gideon, you know, there's some stuff where people test God and it's awesome. But there's a difference in the testing that we can give God. What I'm trying to say is that Deuteronomy says part of loving the Lord with everything you have is not testing him like he was tested at Massa. There are tests that come from your questions, and that's okay. You're like, okay, God, like I, I, I'm seeking you. I'm trying to hear you. Like, is this really you? Did you really say it? Like, can I really go this way? Is it right or is it left? Like, I don't know, God. Like, here, I'll test. I'll try this, and if that doesn't work, then I'll go the other way. Like, you've got questions, and you're seeking, and you're humbling yourself before the Lord, and you're saying, God, I got questions. Like, help me understand. A or B, like, I don't know. I'll test something, right? There's tests that come from your questions, but then there are tests that come from your arrogance, and that's what the devil is trying to get Jesus to do. Hey, if you're the son of God, if God's your dad, if you've got such a good dad, if he loves you so much, if he's got such a great call on your life, if you're such a big deal, if he'll catch you anyways, why don't you just jump? Make him prove it. I mean, you're a big deal. 
You're Jesus. See, what this sounds like for us is stuff like, if God's so good, if God's so loving, if God's so forgiving, why does it matter? Why does it matter how I live my life? Why does it matter what I do with my time? Why does it matter who I sleep with? Why does it matter how I go about different things? Why does it matter how I act? If God's so good, why can't he just get off my back? If God's so good, if I jump off this ledge, won't he just catch me? I mean, if he's, I mean, is he here or not? Don't spend your life testing God when you can spend your life loving God. Jesus says, I'm not going to play that game. I've got a destiny to live. I've got a life to live. I've got a calling to live. I know the Lord is in this place. And I still might have some questions, but I'm going forward. I'm going to love the Lord with everything I've got. Part of loving the Lord with everything you've got is not living in that testing. Well, how far could I push it? How far is too far? I mean, if he's here, if he's good. Verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be careful, or be gone, Satan. (laughs) Be careful, Satan. (laughs) Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Circle in your Bibles, uh, if you've got your Bible or your phone or something, I need you to circle, highlight, or something, where it says this, uh, what was that verse? Uh, and again, and then, and then, uh, verse 9, and he, the devil, said to Jesus, all these, circle this, I will give you. Circle that, I will give you. I want to tell you this morning, a little sneak peek into the battlefield, so that you can understand when you're getting attacked and when something that looks a little good, but it's, you're, not, you're not so sure about it. I want to tell you that at the core of every temptation you'll ever face, at the core of every temptation that you will ever face, that's a big statement, but I believe it, at the core of every temptation you'll ever face is the lie that the devil has something you want and he's offering it at a fair price. Number one, that the devil has something you want And number two, he's offering it at a fair price. Mm. Jesus wanted what the devil was offering. That's why he came. The devil says, you want the world? I'll give it to you. Just worship. He was offering what he wanted. But Jesus, because he knew the word of God, he saw right through the price tag. This isn't just. This isn't just. That'll work right there for your life. I'm telling you this morning, it's not just, it's more expensive than that. In this moment, the devil offers Jesus the world that he came to save, and without the price of the cross, just bow down and worship. Get this whole thing over with. You can go home and eat, and you never have to go up on that cross. Just bow down and worship. But Jesus knew the word of God. He knew the whole story. He knew the whole mission. He knew that he wasn't just here to rescue the world. He was here to destroy the works of the devil. I like this part. I like when Jesus destroys the devil. Because I don't like the devil. He's not been good to me or anybody that I love a lot. 
and I appreciate that Jesus comes in and shows him who's boss. And I want to encourage you with this one right here. Jesus knew the mission because he knew the word of God. I want to tell you this here right now too. The devil knew his whole mission too. The devil knew what Jesus' whole mission was too. The devil knew he didn't just come to save the world. The devil knew he came to destroy the devil. Because I don't know if you remember, way back in Genesis chapter 3, I think somewhere right around like 12, 13, 14, somewhere right in there, sin enters the world. The devil comes and he messes with the people of God that God loves a lot. And God starts outlining all what the consequences of sin, but he doesn't just stop with the consequences of sin. He speaks to the devil right there and says, I'm going to send one who will crush your head. I don't appreciate that you've done this to my children. I don't appreciate what this is going to cost my son. Your head will be crushed for this. See, the devil was in the garden when Jesus' mission was prophesied. They were all there together. This wasn't the first time the devil and Jesus met. And when the devil saw that he couldn't get Jesus to compromise on his desires, when the devil saw he couldn't get Jesus to compromise on his affections, when he saw that, he tried to get Jesus to compromise on his calling. And I want you to know that no matter how enticing the offer is that the devil makes you, that the flesh makes you, that the world makes you, no matter how enticing it is, the only reason the devil negotiates is because he knows something that he hopes you don't. It's over. He is smoked. He has no chance unless you give up. I'm telling you this morning, the devil's got no chance in your life unless you give up. 40 days, it's a long fast. The trial you've been enduring, it's a long time. 40 years is a big wilderness. 400 years is a long time to wait for a promise. I get it. You're hungry. You're tired. Don't give up. Because these are the rules of engagement. The rule is, Jesus wins. When you know the word of God, you know the whole story. And when you know the whole story, you know how to engage in this fight. You know how to see through every compromise. You know how to see through every shortcut. You know how to see through every cheat code. You know how to see through everything that promises you so much, but the cost is so much greater. It would have shown Esau when he bought, when he sold his birthright for a cup of soup. That's what you're doing with sin. That's what you're doing when you do when the devil just says, Oh, you're hungry? Here's a cup of soup. Just worship. There's a war over your calling. There's a war over your worship. Don't give up. Don't give up. You are a co-heir to the kingdom of God with Jesus to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the key to this calling, the, 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 the key to victory in this war is your worship. Don't just bow down and worship. Don't just get on your knees and go after all these other things. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and you will win this war. And it may cost you everything in the end, but it will not cost you your eternity. You've always got that trump card in your pocket. You've always got that receipt in your pocket. This might cost me everything, but in the end, I've got everything that matters. There are battles we are losing because we're worshiping our feelings, because we're worshiping our experiences, because we're worshiping our disappointments, we're worshiping influence, we're worshiping our desires, we're worshiping our reputation, we're worshiping all of these different things, and it's costing us battles, but you don't have to lose those anymore. That's what I want you to know this morning. You don't have to lose those battles anymore. I want you to know this morning that the rules of engagement, they're in your favor. 
you are unleashed by the Word of God. You are set free to live a conquering life by the Word of God. You are set free to walk in victory, to live in purity, and to love the Lord your God with your whole heart. That you are free to walk in a way that is blameless. You are free to keep the statutes of the Lord. You are free to put yourself before God. Open up your whole heart, and you are free to not be put to shame. But you are free to encounter the living God with every moment of your life. You are allowed to live for Jesus. You are allowed to burn for God. You are allowed to put it all on the table. You do not have to hold back. You can win the war for your worship. I want you to stand as we close this morning. We're going to sing one more song. And I went way too long in the morning. I've got a flight to catch. Brad's getting nervous. I am too. But we've got, we've got a few minutes for the Holy Spirit to come and do something, right? We're going to worship. And I want you to just let the Holy Spirit in your life right now and say, come Holy Spirit, would you show me? Would you show me if there's a battle in my life that I've been losing that I don't have to lose anymore? And it's not because you're about to try harder. It just means you're going to believe better. It's a belief thing. Will you hold on that there's better bread coming? Will you hold on that you don't need God to give you another sign that he's here, he's here? Will you hold on in faith? Will you hold on that if I'll just stand and worship and not bow this knee, God's going to show up? Just believe. Just believe. And let's walk in victory this morning. We're going to have some people off to the side to pray for you. If you need somebody just to stand with you, if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, now's the time. Give your life to Jesus. Step into this life. Step into the fulfillment of the word of God and let him change everything about your life. Go talk to somebody to pray with you. Talk to the person who came with you. Just don't leave without surrendering your life to Jesus. Today is a good day to follow Jesus. Today is a good day to step in to the victory of Jesus. So would you just put your hands out in front of you? just as a sign to say, okay, God, I'm hungry. God, I'm hungry, and I'm trusting you to come fill my hunger. Lord, we love you, and we welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this moment, into every battle that we're in, into every question that we have, into everything that we don't have together, into the testimonies we do have, into the testimonies we're waiting for. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I'm asking, Lord, that you would convince us and convict us right now that your way is worth following, that your word is worth holding on to, that you are coming through, Lord. Fill our hunger. You promised Jesus that if we would hunger and if we would thirst for righteousness, we would be filled. And I'm asking you right now, Holy Spirit, would you come into people's hearts and minds and guts and situations, Lord, I'm asking that you would feed us with the righteousness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.